ball for a buck. Just another dream. Donald Trump screwed up. The United States. Hey, welcome to the 65th episode of Two Writers Slinging Yang. My name is Jeff Perlman. I'm a former Sports Illustrated senior writer, former ESPN columnist, author of multiple New York Times bestsellers, and a columnist for The Athletic. The music you're listening to is a brand new song from MC White Owl, Football for a Buck, in conjunction with my upcoming book of the same name. And this podcast is an ode to writing in all its forms, from journalism to songwriting to screenwriting to novels to romance to comics to whatever genres I'm thinking of. And today's guest is a really special one to me. Three years ago, a young Orange County Register writer named Mirren Fader asked if we could meet to talk writing. She arrived, very nervous, pad in hand, itching to take notes. So we talked, and we've stayed in touch, and we've developed this great friendship. And now that same nervous kid is a writer for Bleacher Report, doing some of the website's best long-form work. So we're going to talk about a rise, about being sent to Lithuania to track a ball, about finding her voice, about watching hair being braided and seeing beauty in it. It's all right now. Live from L.A. with cookies and coffee and traffic on Two Writers, Slinging Yang. All right, Mirren, first of all, we, are, uh, we had a little bit of a blow today because we were supposed to meet at Insomnia. First of all, it's a, it's a L.A. coffee shop, and the first thing is we kind of have this joke because the owner of Insomnia is really mean, but... You told me doesn't own it anymore, right? Doesn't own it anymore. Complete new ownership, which is game changer. So we come to Insomnia thinking, oh, this is going to be great. We'll do the podcast here. And what happens? <laughs> it's closed for a private event. LA coffee shop at like 9 p.m. Right. That's nuts. And now we're sitting outside a dessert place next door splitting a cookie. Anyway, here's my question I want to start with for you. I, um, I had something happen over the past two days. Um, I wrote this story about... Uh, about a Los Angeles Charger defensive back and um, and uh, Rayshon Jenkins. And I felt really good about the story. I wrote the story, felt good about the story. And in the past week, um, first, a former colleague of mine at Sports Illustrated named John Walters wrote a blistering uh, blog post about why he hated the story. And then, he just made a sad face. And then, I got a voice message two days ago from Rayshon Jenkins' father calling me a honky and an asshole and basically saying he would want to beat the shit out of me. If it were you, here you are, you're 27, you're coming up. I feel like if these two things happened to you, you would not take them particularly well. Am I wrong on this? Are you? Okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. Okay, okay I've had like AU dads yell at me on the phone right. um, when I was at the OC register. Like, I remember this, this hockey dad called and screaming at me because his son wasn't on the cover. So I definitely feel like that strain of things still exists. And I don't think any writer's immune to it. Right. But um, yeah, nobody likes nobody likes hearing that. No. But I feel but I feel like um, okay, this was my reaction. I didn't read the blog post for at least a week. And then it turns out I texted Rayshon Jenkins and asked him why his dad wanted to kick my ass. And he said because he read the blog post. So then I read the blog post and I was like, Oh, well, all right, whatever. And I wonder like so you and I, we've known each other for about three years ish. You uh <laughs> You called me one time, or you sent me, no, over Twitter, right? It was over Twitter. Yeah. Send me a Twitter. You're working at the Orange County Register. You're like, my name is Mirren Fader. And I was wondering, I saw you move to Orange County, if we can meet. And then you show up at the Starbucks with a notepad to take notes, okay. right? right? Go ahead, wait, is this something you want to say? Am I, I mean, wrong? you are right. right. You were also on deadline, which I couldn't believe that you met me while right. you were on deadline. But yes, I was trying to take okay. notes. <laughs> but my question is, I feel like in my age here at 46, this stuff kind of just, 
it doesn't really phase me. Like the blog post, eh, who cares? Rachel Jenkins' dad being really pissed, eh, who cares? But I wonder, like, like you have a story this week that just ran on Bleacher Report about a Packers wide receiver, uh, Devontae Adams. Let's say Devontae Adams hated the story and a relative called you and he was really pissed off and go fuck yourself, I hate that story. How would you take it? Seriously. I mean, yeah, I think I would take it differently than you. Um, I think that it would matter to me, but ultimately, if I did my job and I, you know, I reported it accurately, truthfully, and I told a story that, um, you know, I was meant to tell, then that's just a consequence of it. Um, but you can yeah, deal with I it. think it, I would have to deal with it. I mean, I think it's part of it, but yeah, I think like at my age, it isn't one of those things that you just sort of roll off. Right. It's just, I don't know. I just, I just find, so I find our relationship interesting because I feel like, like you came to me wanting like help, right? Yeah. And you remind me a little bit of me when I was younger. And I say a little bit because you're not nearly as cocky and you're much less of an asshole than I was. You're, you're not an asshole. And I was a horrible asshole. Um, and I, but I feel like there was a moment when I knew you early on that was really, really good for you. Yeah. And I don't even know if this, will re- if this will even register with you or if it did at the time. But I remember when it happened thinking, oh, this is actually, every writer needs to go through this. And it is. You wrote a piece for the Orange County Register about a basketball team, a women's basketball team. Yes. And the you, the editing pissed you off. You hated the editing of that story. And I told you, no one's going to notice. Like, and, there, and, and everyone complimented you on the story and said, what a great job, and blah, blah, blah. I feel like there's a moment, like, we all come up and we think every word is super important and every word matters and how dare an editor do this and blah, blah, blah. And I feel like that was a story where, like, they butchered the shit out of it. But people were just happy to spell their names right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I mean, yeah, that was definitely a lesson because I was so upset because, you know, you care so much about every word and, you know, you kind of put your soul into it and then you feel like it's been slashed in half. You know, newspapers don't have the space that, you know, long form does at, at Bleacher, for example. And, yeah, I was definitely heartbroken. I think, like, I took it so personally, but, you know, you had the wisdom to be like, you know, Everybody's going to be good if you just spell the names right. It's going to be fine. You were right, but, like, you can't know that unless you go through those experiences, right? Like, you could tell me that all you wanted, but I would have to go through it to know that myself. You know but, what I mean? All right, so, but wait. So now you're a bleach report. And I remember also telling you, like, because I remember when you were at the news, I was like, when I was at Sports Illustrated, they would just butcher the shit out of your stories, and they would beat it up. And, like, they would, you'd have seven editors looking at it, and blah, 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 and you would hardly recognize half the stories you wrote. And then everyone would be like, oh, I loved your story. And you'd be like, oh. And here you are at Bleach Report. I got to think the editing is harder than it was at the register. At least there are more people looking at it. So did you have to make sort of a mental adjustment or did you have to come to, or have you, you know, come to sort of grips with the idea that like, they're not just going to take what I write and put it up on the, slap it up on the site? Oh yeah, like that's not how it goes. I mean, I definitely understand that so much clearly, more clear now. I mean, it goes through 10 set of eyes before it, it goes to publish. And and 10 people come with different expectations and um, experiences and thoughts. And some people like leads that are more forceful and some people like leads that are more softer. Some people like less quotes, some people like more quotes. And so it's just learning how to adapt to style. But also like I am in the process of, we talk about this all the time, trying to find my own voice. And so, um, you know, trusting my editors like Christina Tapper you know Christina um, 
you know, I trust her. Like, we've built up a really good relationship over the past, you know, year and a half of me writing for them. And so, you know, when it's marked up, you know, you're being challenged for the better. And so I think it's like going through those experiences and learning from them rather than somebody telling you is how you kind of learn to grow from it. That's actually, I've never felt that way. Like, I've had editors I liked and I've had editors I've disliked. I've never, I don't know if I've ever, I don't know if I've ever felt a story was better after editing. And that's not saying, that's not saying it isn't. I'm saying I still do have that sort of territorial, why the fuck are you changing in my head? You know, like I just stopped being so combative about it. You're saying you actually feel like you work with an editor. You feel like she's improving your story. Oh, 100%. I mean, take Lithuania. Um, she, she really lit. We talked every single day. And so, and it wasn't just like BS talking. Like she really listened to me and listened to what I was saying about how the story was changing as I was moving along. And so during the editing process, she was like, remember when you said this? Or remember when you said that? Like, I really feel like that connects and that's not coming out here. Um, and she challenged me and it ultimately made the piece so much better. I think it is really rare to find an editor whose style you mesh with, who you trust. So I do really appreciate having her. I, I do think that's rare, especially with everything is so fluid. And a lot of um, a lot of older editors and writers don't necessarily want to take time with a young writer. And it could be really hard kind of like not having that person to help you. But yeah, like I, I definitely do think it makes it better. But of course, like you love certain lines like anyone and you want them to stay. And when they get cut, it hurts. But then you sort of look at it and you're like, wait, I didn't really need that line. Right. They were right. You do, you, do you know the uh, do you know the joke about the uh, editor and a writer walking through the desert? Oh, God, no. oh this is my one. This is an old SI one. Editor and a writer walking through the desert. They're walking through the desert for days and days and they're dying of thirst. And finally they see a the writer sees a lake and they run up to the lake and the writer's about to take a drink from the lake and the editor says, hold on one second. And he pees in the lake and he says, now it's perfect. Oh my God. <laughs> so there you go. I can't, wow. Yeah. Um, so you, you just referenced, you, you did, uh, last year you wrote a story of Lamello Ball and they sent you to Lithuania and we talked a lot during this process. And I'm gonna be honest, I'm gonna tell you something I never said at the time. I thought they were crazy to send you on this story. You'd never been out of the country. You didn't speak the language. You're 26. Like, you haven't traveled that much in your life until then. I was, I swear to God, I was talking to my wife and I was like, I think it's crazy. And, and in hindsight, I actually think it was one of the greatest things they could have done for you. First of all, the story turned out great. But second of all, more important, like sometimes you just got to throw someone in the water and see what happens. So. You're, tell me how that story came to me. Like, how did you end up getting the Lamella Ball? We're going to send you to Lithuania because why the fuck not? How did that happen? Well, it was crazy because I wasn't staff at the time. And so um, it was definitely an unusual choice. Like, I'll be honest. Um, so Christina said, you know, hey, can you talk for a few minutes? And so I was literally actually driving down Beverly the street. And I pulled over and she's like, so nobody's done a profile on Lamella Ball. And in my head, I'm kind of like calculating, like, aren't they in Lithuania? Um, and she was like, it would require you to go to Lithuania for a couple weeks. And she's like, I'm not promising anything. We have to pitch this. But are you interested? I'm like, <laughs> am I interested? Right. I mean, it was like I, I had the same exact thoughts you did. First of all, like, why me? Um, how is this? How am I going to do this? Blah, blah, blah. But, um, you know, I, I did that story on Lonzo Ball prior and so I did make a lot of connections with the, their, like, the ball inner, inner circle. 
And so when it was kind of like finally set to go, of course I was extremely nervous because I know you don't like when I do sports metaphors, but I really did feel like I had to prove myself and I really did feel like it was a ginormous challenge. And I wouldn't say that's a sports metaphor. It's okay, like a yeah. life. It's like metaphor. a life, yeah. yeah. So I definitely. Well, I just want to say, I want to do an impersonation of Mirren. This is Mirren over text. It's the fourth quarter, and I got the ball with two seconds. <laughs> Inaccurate. <laughs> but it ball is life. So, anyway. Right. Yeah. So I was really nervous, um, but I was also so excited. Like, when do you ever get this opportunity? You know what I mean? It's just publications don't send writers, let alone young writers. And so. Um, I think that as soon as I got there, the story changed and the access changed and everything sort of fell through when I got there. And so wait, wait, wait. Time out before we even get there. Okay. So you, they tell you you're going to do this story. We're yeah. sending you to Lithuania. Yeah. In, in the time between you, you hear that and you go to Lithuania, like yeah. what happens? What are you doing? How are plans being made? Well, um, I am preparing religiously um, as a team. We're preparing so much. Uh, there was originally supposed to be a lot of video. I was supposed to follow him. Oh, yeah. And so, you know, I don't really have a bunch of video experience. So I was practicing, you know, trying to just figure out what, what was I going to do that was interesting about this kid that he's everywhere, but nobody really knows much about. And so it was just like a lot of meetings, a lot of plannings. Again, I didn't even know how to have an adapter. You know, there was just like so many travel things that I didn't know. Right. So it was just trying to be as prepared as possible but knowing that be prepared for anything to happen right. um, which is what I needed to do when I got there but I just remember being on the plane and um, we're going over some body of water and you know how you can see the um, the 3d image of the plane the plane just got like very very tiny uh, <laughs> there's just all this water and I just remember being like oh shit right. like we are like 10 11 hours from home like this isn't a joke um, this is really happening so it was I mean it was thrilling had you been out of the country before? Um, not myself. Right. Yeah. So it was just like a whole new experience. And this was my first real coat and like boots. And, you know, you're going to Lithuania in the middle of winter. So um, it's just an opportunity that like you as a writer dream of. And I just couldn't believe it. Like I said, I wasn't staff. So I just knew like I had to make the most of this. I don't know how I was going to do it. I don't know what it was going to be. But I really had to do a good job. I just want to say one of my... Uh after SI, I worked at Newsday briefly, and then one day it was a really cold winter, and they sent me to Yellowknife. They wanted me to find the coldest place in North America, and they sent me to Yellowknife, Canada, for a relatively forgettable story. But I still have the winter boots they bought me. Amazing. I still have the snow pants, and I still have the thermals. So, so did they pay for your thermals? They did not. Oh, they, they, if you were working for Newsday in uh, 2003, <laughs> you would have had it for free. That's surprising right. to me. Um, but yeah. yeah right. <laughs> That's very That's because you come from newspaper yeah. 2013. Well, totally different. Don't yeah. pay for you to go from LA to Anaheim. Right. Um, but yeah, Bleacher, <laughs> Bleacher paid for um, everything else. So, so great. All right, so I'm sure, I'm sure when you got there, the Ball family was waiting for you and you had all these interviews set up, right? It was all, it was all prearranged, right? So easy. <laughs> no. So you go in there into this luxurious hotel. Well, first of all, I just skipped the most traumatizing part, which is it was snowing and raining and I had to drive in a foreign country, oh, yeah. which I had never done before. The whole time, and, the, and you're kind of almost going to fall off the road and, you know, I've never driven in snow. I'm from California. So um, I was like, can I not die on the, on the way? How nervous to were you? No, I was so nervous, Jeff. So nervous. Like, more nervous than like I'm about to play a basketball game nervous I was just like if something were to happen to me you know nobody would know because I'm just in the middle of nowhere it wasn't like a big city it was like three hours outside of the capital um, 
But yeah, so I walk into the hotel and they're just all sitting there. Who's they? Who do you mean? The, like LeVar and this entire reality crew. Were you staying in the hotel where they were staying? Yeah. Or was, was that arranged? Did you find out where they were yeah, staying? Yeah, out? we found out. And so um, I really like asked to stay in the same place because I essentially I was going to be following them, you know, and I needed to be as close as possible to whatever was happening. But did they know you were coming? Yeah, so beforehand, we reached out to their team. We were like, we want to do this story. Um, and so they, they pretty much agreed to access. And um, But what that meant was like really unclear. Um, but at least we had some communication. Um, and then I got there on the second day. I just kind of saw LeVar um, in the hotel lobby, and I just asked to interview him, um, which I don't think I could have written the story if that didn't happen. We ended up talking for like an hour. Um, but then they shut off all access the next day, um, and it turned into a... Why? Do you know why? Um, the Lakers story came out about um, LeVar's comments about Luke Walton, and so they decided that they weren't going to talk to anyone ever again. Okay, so what was your reaction when you found out they're not... You have literally flown halfway around the blah, 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 and they're not going to talk. Yeah, so um, to be honest, like utter panic at first, because um, imagine, you know, you want to do so well. This is so important to you. You know, these editors believe in you. They sent you and not their senior staff writers. You've you've been tasked with this huge job, and now you don't have access to your main characters, and you don't have a translator, and you're just in this middle-of-nowhere place all by yourself. Um, yeah. I think the text you wrote to me read, fuck. Literally. <laughs> I probably texted me like 30 times. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. Literally, fuck. just... A million bucks. But um, but then there comes a time, which, again, great editing. Christina Tapper, she just had total faith in me. And she was like, you got this. And then I also just realized, like, okay, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Like, are you going to cry or are you going to get this shit together? And so the next day I decided that if they weren't going to give me access, I was just going to get access no matter how I could. Right. So nobody told me, like, when practice was, but I knew that there was one gym, literally the the where they play their games and so I went at like 8 a.m. and I was like well they're bound to have practice at some time today I'm just gonna wait in my car in the snow <laughs> and um and I'll just like wait till they show up and then the door was actually unlocked um amazing to the gym, to the gym. so I just was standing I was sitting in the bleachers just by myself just waiting and waiting um and then like a couple hours later like in walks LeVar and these cameras and it's just like a total reality show just acting like they were in this staple center and we were really in this like dinky gym right. and you know, at 11 a.m. in Lithuania and then I'm just sort of like hiding from personnel um, and then all of a sudden somebody um, from the team comes out to me and they're like who are you like what are you doing here I was really nervous because like I've never been kicked out of a place I've never had to do that um, and I just explained who I was and I convinced them to let me stay how I really just said look I'm just here to observe, like, you know, I don't, I'm don't. i not even going to have my notebook out. Can I just stay? I'm going to go right there up in the top bleachers, not going to make a, not going to make a sound. And um, I honestly think they looked at me, you know, short woman and didn't really, like, I think they were just kind of like, oh, like, she's not a threat. Right. Like, I, I honestly believe that. And, um, and also because I was genuine about it. I was like, look, like, I just want to watch practice, which is literally what I wanted to do. Um, and so they let me, which was not allowed because um, the balls actually had to deal with Facebook and the team's reasoning was that only Facebook personnel was allowed at practice. Um, so I, re I, I felt like if they were going to let me stay today, then I'm just going to come back tomorrow. And so I just kept coming back and um, 
it just became accepted that I was there. That's so funny. Um, and so even though I didn't have access to the actual characters in the story, I realized I actually did have a front row seat to everything that was going on. That's it good. just totally reinvented what access meant to me. And did you did you actually interview Lamelo? No. Not at all. Did. Not one time. I never did. They wouldn't. They wouldn't let me near him. That's so great. You know what? I always say this. Like, you do not need. If you can get a million people around someone, like I've written, I mean, I wrote a book on Barry Bonds. I didn't talk to him for the book. I talked Roger Clemens, Showtime. I didn't get magic. Like, if you can get a million people around the guy, like Lamelo Ball is a 16-year-old kid. Mostly, what comes out of his mouth is not going to be that fascinating. But the people around him are this like really riveting collection of like oddballs and characters, right? I mean, well, and everybody, it became. There are so many people that have stakes in this. The team. And how they let this family, you know, usurp their power became a total um, power play in characters. And so the, the coach was just as important as Mello was getting his dialogue. Um, this really taught me to go out of my shell. I would just drive to random parts of the city and just go up to people and be like, do you speak English? Can I interview you? And, you know, the few restaurants that were there, I interviewed them. And so... You know, I always joke, the running joke at Bleacher is that I'm the write-around queen because I often can't get access uh -huh. to these people. Um, but Christina said, no, like, you're, you're going to be the anecdote queen. You got to just report and report and get those anecdotes and get those anecdotes. And this story, like, really forced me to observe, you know? It's not always about the dialogue. It's about observation. Like, are they not running a sprint in in three weeks? Like, how is that even humanly possible? Right what's going on here because you got to understand like the story that I came to write is not the story that I left right. with I thought it was going to be some like 16 year old basketball royalty takes Europe like lavish adventure what it was was a really 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 dark place with a kid that looked really 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 miserable and a family that took over the league the game everything and everyone was just sort of on their beck and call but back home nobody knew that everyone just thought everything was going great like they're scoring 40 points a game and so you have to really trust yourself and say no I know what the story is I'm here I'm on the ground I'm going to trust my reporting right it's, it's interesting because while all this was going on uh, one of the past guests on this podcast was Chris Palmer Chris Palmer has kind of developed a reputation as being very close with the Ball family and he'd be tweeting sort of these, oh, he scored 42 today and blah, blah, blah. And I felt like when I was talking to you, I felt like I was getting a real essence of the story, which is like it would be easy for you to write the story of like, oh, he's lighting up this league or their balls are doing great. But it all it all kind of just seemed like a like a like a farce in a way. Right? I mean, it really was. And that's where I think like knowledge of the game comes in and just watching a practice. Like I, I did play a year of college basketball. Like I know how this works. Like I know what it's supposed to look like. I know how a practice is supposed to be structured. Like something is really wrong here. And I think like trusting your reporter instincts, knowing that this isn't all the magic that it's being portrayed to be. And I think like there were a lot of people keen on just sort of telling the story that they wanted to, which was like, you know, fantastic, they're doing so well. But I think like, it's so, it's such a nuanced thing because I saw this boy with so much talent, but I didn't think they were challenging him and using him. And so it's like, okay, how do you write about what this really is, but also show the impact on these people? Because he's, he's young, like, it's is he hard. even 17 yet? Is he 17 now, probably? I, I don't think he's 17 yet. It's 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 so hard to grasp how somebody how young somebody is until you're up close with them and you see the way he skips around and um, you know he's trying to touch Ned and just laughing and giggling and you sort of 
you you understand that he's not an adult, but he's being put in this situation, expected to act like one. Right. And that, that's a hard tension. Interesting. I didn't want to write about Lavar. If you look at if you look at my um, Lonzo profile, I didn't put Lavar in there at all. There was one line that said he was the son of Lavar, but I didn't talk to Lavar. I didn't put anything because I didn't want the focus to be on him. I wanted it to be on Lonzo, and I sort of approached this going in that way but then I realized that there was no way to write a LaMelo profile without writing about LeVar because everything that LaMelo does is not a decision made by him right. it's made by his father and so it became this tension between the two and it just became a really interesting story about both of them it could have been called LaMelo and LeVar honestly this has nothing to do with the writing but like uh, what do you think ends up happening to this kid he can't play college basketball now right he can't um I th- like I said, I think he's really talented. I think he'll get an NBA tryout. I believe it would be like 2020. Um, but there's no telling what his body will do in the next um, two years. But I think it's more than that. I think it's like he's never been in a situation where um, a coach says, okay, we're running a system now. Like if you if you look at the way he plays, he sort of comes down court and he'll just chuck a 40-footer. He, he doesn't exactly like play within systems. And so... I would love to see him have a great coach mentor that really just, you know, takes him under his wing and and says, no, this is how we do it. You know, we're going to pass this many times before we shoot it. But so I don't know what kind of point guard he can be if he doesn't have that type of experience because his dad has catered every experience that he's been on. So I think it'll just really depend on, like, is he challenged? Is he being developed properly? I don't know. I actually, uh, I disagree with you on one thing. You know more than I do in this area, but... um. I bet he never gets an NBA shot, and here's why. There are a million people with talent. There's just a million people with talent. Jello, but Jello got a shot. Jello got a shot. Melo's way better than Jello. I know, but two years from now, who the hell knows what this kid's going to be? And, like, I don't know. I don't know. I, I think there are a million people with talent, and I think, like, after a while, a team's going to be like, who wants to deal with this shit? Like, why do I want to deal with this shit? You didn't even go to college? Like, I don't know. Anyway. Before we continue with two writers slinging yang, a quick word from our sponsor. Hey, this is Jeff Perlin, and I'm here with my friend Copal, who, and I'm being sincere when I say this, never tells a lie. So Copal, why are you so excited for my upcoming USFL book? I'm not. Wait, what? I don't even know what the USFL is. Will you buy a copy? No. Mm, do you like 503 Sports' merchandise? What is that? That's what this ad is for. Honestly, I'm just here for the free pony. There's no free pony. This sucks. Hmm, that didn't go very well, but that's okay, because 503 Sports is all about throwback. We're talking USFL, World Football League, XFL, minor league baseball, minor league hockey, old school Portland State, or put differently, if you're a man or woman who has long dreamed of owning a Scott McGee Houston Gamblers jersey, well, dreams come true. The merchandise at 503 Sports is handcrafted and all very reasonably priced, so be like me. Go to 503-sports.com and type in coupon code YANG18 to get 10% off your first purchase. Here's something that interests me about you. And uh, it's funny. I've heard you on different podcasts, right? You've done a couple of podcasts. And you sound very sort of mature. Well, and I like this, actually. Like, you sound very sort of mature and writerly and blah, blah, blah. But I know you well enough to know, like, there's a lot of, and this is, like, good. There's a lot of, like, insecurity that comes with writers coming up, right? We all have it. Where we've had conversations about this, like, where you read Gary Smith or you read Wright Thompson or whoever. John Worth, I don't know, whoever. And, like, you want to be that, but you know you're not quite there yet. And you feel like you have flashes of it, but blah, blah, blah. And, like, and it's funny. Part of me, I'll be like, you're, you're freaking 
27 years old. You're not, Ray Thompson's 45 years old. And another part of me, I was the exact same way. I wanted it too. I would read Tim Layden. I, I remember I wrote a profile for the Tennessean on Peyton Manning the same year Tim Layden did for Sports Illustrated. And all I wanted was my story to be better than his story, you know? You know, I've had that situation. What? You had that with which? Mina Kimes came out with her Ally Raisman piece oh. a week before mine, you know. Um, so how does that, like, because I, I kind of, I do think as you get older, you, you definitely stop caring as much, <laughs> not about your product, yeah. but comparing yourself to other writers right. and am I up to that. So I don't know, how much of a how much of a burden is this, Merit? I mean, I'll be honest, because, like, I hate when writers, I hate when writers go on podcasts and act like they're so confident and everything is perfect yeah. and they always knew they were good and, like, you know me <laughs> so um it is really really hard i think that's something that i struggle with because i am really determined to get better like i don't want to be the same as i am now next year or the year after that and it's like when you see lee jenkins do a whole story i think it was jimmy butler and he did the first like six paragraphs were like one sentence or something yeah. it was amazing or like his story on steph curry it was like it was like a jazz performance like right in front of me it was so rhythmical and I'm so like enamored by these writers, but then I get so frustrated because I know I'm not as good as them at this point. And so it's like, you you wanna learn from them, but you have to learn to like not be so hard on yourself, comparing yourself. And it's like, what writer doesn't do that? You know what I mean? And so it's just a constant process saying like, okay, I'm gonna study these people. I'm gonna see what they do well. What is it about them that makes their stories so great? And like, how can I sort of craft my own style? Like, we always talk about it. Like, stop trying to be Gary Smith. Right. Just be yourself. Like, you always tell me, just be yourself. But I always ask you, like, how do you know when you're yourself? How do you know when you find your voice? Like, how do you know when it's you read it and it sounds like you? So wait, I was thinking about this tonight when I was driving here, and I was thinking like <laughs> that whole voice thing is really interesting, right? Like. Yeah. You said to me, oh, I know when you write something. I can tell when you write something, right? Yeah. Or I can tell when someone to write something. But, like, there are a lot of great writers, like, far, 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 far superior to me, who I think, like, like, Gary Smith is interesting. You can read Gary Smith and you know it's a Gary Smith story. When Rick Riley was writing for SI, I didn't always know it was him. Like, or Wertheim, John Wertheim. I don't always know it's a history. Or Tom Verducci. Like, I don't think every writer, every great writer, every great yeah. sports writer has a distinctive voice. I just think, like, I don't think Lee Jenkins, I don't think every story sounds the same voice-wise. I think the guy's a fucking great writer. And sometimes, yeah. like, like, I think you're searching for something maybe that you don't even need to search for. That's interesting. I think maybe it might not be like you need somebody to identify this as yours, but I think it's a need for myself to identify, like, what I like and what I don't like in my writing. What I like sounding like and what I don't like or What don't you like? I don't like over quoting and I do it yeah I don't I like I'm amazed at Wright Thompson who can spend the first 800 words of a story painting the scene giving you a paragraph about the cabinet and just you know describing and and I see myself trying to paint the scene but not being as concise with my imagery you know what I mean like mm -hmm. things like that and so it's like you pick apart your stuff which is the natural process in what you need to do in order to figure out like how how I can describe things my way you know what I mean like mm -hmm. I think it's just but the more you write the better you get like I know it's funny remember Monet Davis that was my first um traveling trip and the, the image of Monet she hit her head on the hardwood or something and you said Mirren that's not a strong image 
what she hit her head did did the braids hit the I said that yeah yeah, yeah. you yeah. were trying to get more out of me and I didn't even realize I thought the image I, I was doing some alliteration so I thought I had done my job there <laughs> and you were like no that image could have done way more and so it's like the more you write the better you get and so like I cringe at some of my stuff um earlier at the register yeah, which is good and um I know Lithuania was like a big jump for me. I know some of the stories I'm doing now, I can see different points where I'm like, okay, I'm improving at that. So I think that's good. And it's like, I'm always trying to get better. I don't, I think this, I think the part that is comparing is that's what every writer, including myself needs to stop doing, but it's good because it drives you. Right. I, it's really interesting. Like, uh, some shit just comes with experience, right? It just does like doing things and doing things and having the experience. Number one, you stop being so self-critical and you stop living and dying with every single story. Like you, I feel like you live and die with every story and you don't give yourself a break. And sometimes, sometimes it's just not going to be as good a story as another story. Like it just happens, you know? You always hate when I say you're only as good as your last game because like, I, but that comes from like, I played competitive basketball for like over a decade and coaches drilled that into me. And you know, when you don't do well, it's like the world is ending. And and I think honestly, that's why I became a features writer because I was so tired of the the details, just the game and the, you know, the what, who lost. And you know, I just don't care about that anymore. Yeah. Cause I was just, that was my life for so long. But I think, yeah, it's been ingrained into me that every story has to be, Amazing, and you—it's impossible. It's impossible. It's—it's. Right. I never finish a story and think, "Oh, that was good." In fact, I never—I can't tell if it's what it is after because I've spent so much time looking at it. It's uh-huh. more like I always think, oh, "Okay, that's really interesting how it ended up." Like, huh? I was wondering how we were going to tie those things together. Like, oh, I was—I'm in, interested in the way that that image ended up. I thought that image was so strong, and then it, I ended up cutting it. Like the image that I thought was the image didn't even make it in there. And then you see what your editor does to it, and then you're like, huh, okay, interesting. Like the way that I structured it wasn't as good as this, or you know, it's just I, I'm kind of fascinated. You know what I mean? Like. I hate I hate to be cliche but like student of the game like I am kind of fascinated by the whole process and it's agonizing right like how many times do we text each other like oh Jeff like I'm writing this story it sucks it's right. terrible but at the end of the day like I just I don't know I love it so much yeah it's like uh, I always use this analogy it's a clumsy analogy I had a girlfriend in college and I was really sick one time and she, she had very sharp nails and she gave me a back scratch right <laughs> I swear this going <laughs> I swear, because I think about this all the time. And it was super painful and also felt good, right? Yeah. I feel like that is writing. I swear to God, I think about that all the time. I feel like that is writing. It's like the weirdest thing. Like, you want to do it and you love to do it. Like, that Rayshon Jenkins story fucking nearly put me in the grave. And you wait to the last minute and you hate it and you think everything sucks and then for some the worst part is some editor tells you they love it and you're like oh hey it must no, be good that, right? that confidence change up is it's preposterous it's like stupid right um or like when you think it's terrible and somebody thinks it's really good and, and you're like oh and i'm like really right. and then you're like oh i'm like i guess okay <laughs> but um no i think it's yeah it is so i think people don't understand that feeling though a breakthrough Oh, like there is nothing like a breakthrough. Like when when something is not working, 
I have to basically try it over and over again to see what's wrong in order for me to find it. Like the thought doesn't just occur to me, um, but there's like a breakthrough. And when that comes, it's like the best feeling well, ever. Give me an example of what you mean. Like Devontae Adams, like the structure was not working. So this is what I just want to say. Packers wide receiver, Devontae yeah. Adams. You went to where to interview? I went to Danville where he lives. It's Danville, in Illinois? NorCal. No, it's in NorCal. Oh, Northern California. It's okay. near Oakland. Yeah, and um, because it was about so much adversity that he um, went through and it was very linear, like he was a rookie and then this was terrible and th- the arc seemed so clear, right? Like he, it was awful and then it got amazing. It sounded so cliche. The structure made no sense to me. It was awful. Um, and I, I hated it so much. You wrote the whole story? I, hated it? I wrote the whole story. It was, it was trash. I hated it. I was so upset with myself. Okay. Um, and the structure just wasn't working. And then I asked myself, okay, like, this isn't working because we're not, it's going linear for some reason and we're not grabbing people. And so I was like, what are the strongest images? And I was like, the hair braiding is kind of like a motif. You were with him when he got his hair braided? Yeah. Okay. And, and I think the younger me wouldn't have even thought of like that as a scene, but I think now I, I know I'm just observing, like understanding things and have deeper meanings and, you know, just realizing that like something you think might not be as purposeful is actually really important. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay, that's a strong image. The funeral is a strong image. Um, the text message between him and Aaron Rodgers. So I started to structure around the different images. And once I did that, I completely switched around and had a breakthrough. Now, do you, do you struggle at all with, um, you're writing about this guy with this really fascinating story, right? And this life story, and he's, he's very, very interesting. And then you have to write about football. You know, like, and then, oh, and he's, here are his stats and blah, blah, blah. Like, you do your, I kind of, that stuff always brings me down a little bit. Yeah, I mean, I feel like I've written that story so many times, I hate to say it, but for different people. For sure. And I, I started to feel like, am I just writing the same overcoming story all the time? Like, the answer is yes. We all have. We are. I'm saying we are. I know, but it, it just, again, like, that part of me that wants to be great at writing and wants to write things that are new and interesting kind of got a little frustrated. Like, what is new? And I think what's new is the details. It's the images. How striking are the images? How strong is the reporting? Did you talk to as many people as you could? What was interesting that we don't know? And so that's what I, I guess that's what that taught me is just like, it can seem like the same cliche story over and over again, but if the details are fresh, it brings something new. You know, I mean, I didn't, I always wanted to be like, a great writer in the sense of like the people I look up to aren't even sports writers as much it's right. like Toni Morrison and Louise Erdrich and um, Virginia Woolf like I just I'm an English nerd like I love writing and so but the more that I've gone along in my career I realize it's less about being a great writer and it's it's more about being a great reporter how can you get those details it's like Remember when I was surprised that you had all those beat writers um, in your Showtime book? Oh, yeah. And you interviewed, like, over 300 people, and I was like, you talked to that person? Why? And you said, because if you talk to somebody for two hours and get one gold nugget, it's worth it. Yeah. And you were like, you know, there's writers that are more talented than me, and they, you know, they're better, but nobody's going to outwork me. And I kind of, like, really learned from that and adapted that to myself. It's like, I I want to be the hardest-working person and writer that I can whatever I can do to get that extra detail like I'm going to do it right well because there's always going to be someone better yeah. it's a guarantee there's 
someone out there better than Ray Thompson or someone out there better. There's always someone better out there. So like, but what can you do? You can be the hardest worker. That's totally within your control. So I always think, wait, so uh, Devontae Adams, I thought it was your best lead I've read. I read it. I thought it was great. And uh, Devontae Adams finally takes a breath, cozying into a chair in his kitchen. It's Tuesday and he's getting married in four days. There are guests to call, boxes to unpack, furniture to rearrange here in his new home in Danville, California. But his mind quiets as a woman comes over and drapes a towel around his shoulders. Ebony Hegwood, it's a great name, a, a longtime family friend, begins braiding his hair. Row by row, she smooths over each strand with a mixture of natural Jamaican beeswax and echo styling gel, twisting, tightening, patting, prodding. She works each section with the precision of a surgeon and the warmth of a mother. That's a good line, the warmth of a mother. Tilting his head forward and tucking his chin in, Adams is a kid again. Her hands feel like home in East Palo Alto, like the way life was long before he signed a four-year, $58 million extension in December to become the Green Bay Packers' number one receiver this season. Here are my multiple thoughts on this. <laughs> I'm ready. I think he's a great lead. I do. I almost hate that you have to tell us about his Packers stuff. Like, I know. Because, and it's weird. And I actually was thinking about something you said when you talk about how uh, right can go on and on and on, right? So... Again, I'm not saying it's the greatest story ever, but I just did this Rayshon Jenkins story. There's almost nothing about the Chargers in that entire story. And it's a 5,000-word story, and there's almost nothing. And I was like, I just don't want to make it about him as a football player. I just want to write about this guy. And I feel like part of the reason Ray Thompson is allowed to write 800 words without mentioning, without using a quote um, is because he does it really well. And part of it is just because he's 45 years old and he's been doing this for a long time, and they trust him to do it. And I feel like... You can do that too, but I think they would probably edit it out and be yeah. like, "We need a quote," and that's oh, okay, right? Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like, no, yeah, which is like, Miriam, what the fuck are you doing? Where's the quote? Okay, so funniest uh, moment of me trying to be Gary Smith. Yeah. Um, in the Lonzo profile, this is a good example of the editing. Um, I wanted to make it clear that this was not a story about Levar Ball. So originally, it was, "This is not a story about Levar." <laughs> that's awesome. Right. <laughs> and then I and then I wanted to repeat it and be like very Gary Smithy. This, and then I, I continued, this is not, this is not, this is not. And they right. were like, what are you doing? Right. And it was such a moment of me feeling stupid. They were right. It was trash. It shouldn't have been that. I, But it was like, why are you trying to be Gary Smith? Like, right. you're not Gary. And and that's, a, that's a, maybe that's okay. Like, maybe that's okay. And I did my own thing. Like, I did a little bit of cadence in there. The real Zoe. The real Zoe. And I repeated that a couple times. But it was also a lesson in, like, you have to try stuff like that and get risk, take the risk of it getting cut or looking stupid or right. failing. Right. If you don't take those risks, like, you're not going to grow. Right. So. And also, like, if you think about it, we all, we all take little pieces from here and there and there. I still use, there's a writer when I went to Delaware, this kid, Greg Orlando, who's a great writer. I still half the words I use I stole from Greg Orlando. Like we all, yeah. we all take stuff. Yeah. I just that's kind of a blatant ripoff. I guess you're saying like that's it. Well, it was just it's what every young writer does. Yeah, wanting to be like their idol so badly yeah. that you that you totally. you almost try too hard. And I think a lot of times when I think my writing isn't working, it's because I'm trying too hard. Right. And I'm learning how to peel back and say did we really need that extra sentence because it doesn't add to the image at all? I mean, back to your point, though, about, like, 
I, I really think sports is the least interesting part about my subjects, to be honest. I, I think that I write about people who happen to play sports. That's why I love features. Right. I just think the human interest is so, it, it's just, it's amazing. And that's why I love Wright Thompson. He made me relate to Michael Jordan in that story yeah, that about MJ. How could I have anything in common with MJ? Literally, I can't even touch the net, you know? But he made me feel MJ's pain because... I went through pain when I stopped playing and so if you can find the universal that's the power of storytelling and I feel like you know that's sports there's so much potential in sports features to tell stories about real people and I think a lot of times sports is just who scored what who got injured and like I'm honestly not interested in that right like if I if you gave me the choice right now of writing about we're sitting outside there's a guy over there eating an ice cream. If you told me I could write a feature on Devontae Adams or the guy eating the ice cream, I'm picking the guy eating the ice cream because I don't have to write about sports. And I don't feel like inserting that he caught 58 balls last year for 700 yards. Well, people always say I'm so weird because the majority of what I read is not sports. Right. I mean, I read like a, a novel a week. Um, I, I love New York Times Magazine. I, I subscribe to The Atlantic. You know, um, sometimes when I go to coffee shops, I just start free writing and I write a story about the people there. Like the other day, there was this couple arguing and um, I just thought, let me just write a short story about them. And I invented like a whole sequence about oh, what they were cool. arguing. Yeah, it's really probably really and weird. And cool. No, cool yeah. and weird. Yeah. Cool and weird. That's me. But um, yeah, so I I just loved kind of creating dialogue that I thought they had in their past life before yeah. they got here. What do you do with those stories? I, they never see the light of day. I, I don't let anyone see that stuff. I really miss that type of writing, to be honest, because I do so much. Like, my writing is public now, and it's a lot. Like, I think people, people think magazine writers rarely write. It's just not true. Like, they see one story a month. They think, like, oh, like, you're not working hard, even though, you know, mostly I do, like, three a month now. But still, they don't understand that you're working on, like, four different stories at one time. And so the free writing that I want to do, the journaling or the short story or the fiction attempts that I have, like, those kind of get put on the back burner a bit. But as you know, I want to be an author, so maybe one day. Right. Let me ask you a final question. The one thing I worry about with you, knowing you, is um, I feel like you've had this really, like, nice rise. And, like, your writing has improved a gazillionfold. Like, truly has improved a gazillionfold. Like, it's a joy to see, right? And you get to do these awesome profiles. And truly, like, at a time where journalism is struggling, you're on a really nice roll. And I feel like you don't enjoy it. Like, I feel like you do enjoy it. Wait, time out. Time out. I feel like you enjoy it, but I feel like you're so self-critical that you never kick back and say, oh, this is really going well. And I want you to feel like it's going well because it really is going well. But (laughs) you sound like my mom. That's great. It's because, Jeff, the second that you, first of all, for the record, I am very much enjoying myself. Okay. This is, I mean, it's like my you almost don't believe it because it's like you're, you're living your dream you're living your dream right? right like it's it's like coming true before your eyes and like you wanted to be a long form writer and everybody laughed at you early in your career because you didn't want to do the gamers you wanted to do the features and why are you so different why don't you want to do the gamers and like I'm literally being paid to do what I've always wanted to do so I, I love that um, but I think this I think what you're getting at is this drive to just go 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 and like not take as many breaks as I should and just always putting my you know foot on the gas it's because like I think if you ease up like somebody will take your spot I don't actually mean that I don't mean I don't mean that you're always driving I mean that like I feel like you put a lot of 
pressure on yourself, right? And you see other riders and you feel like you're not living up to it and some to some degree. I feel like you're looking at me like, why are you being so critical? But I don't mean it. I have a lot of respect for you. I really do. But I feel like I want you to feel good about what you're doing, you know? Like, I hope you feel good about what you're doing. Because when you came to me three years ago, you were like, it was like a kid. You know, you were like a kid. And now you're like this, like, you're having this great career, you know? And, like, I take an insane amount of pride in what you're doing. Like, an insane amount of pride. And I feel like you you need to feel better about it. That's all I'm saying. I feel no, like, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, I'm really, I, I do, like, I think you, you realize how few spots there are. I think that's what's becoming clear to me yeah. is, like, whoa, you know, there's so few spots. So I don't ever take it for granted. Like, it's amazing. Like, it's, it's honestly something I just, it's, it's almost a little surreal. Um, so I don't know. I think because I am just really driven to get better and to keep writing you know better stories like it's not enough to do this story I want to do better than that and let's you know can we have a more meaningful story here and so I think it's just I don't know it's just a constant go 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 for me I know no I know what you mean I have that too I totally get it if you yeah I just think it's it's such a competitive industry and you know I know people think like oh you're a woman like people want to hire you and there's a lane for you now because now companies want to hire women and I don't think they understand that like you can't really make mistakes as a woman like you really you can't you just you can but you can't and I think like I understand that I understand how how few there are of us and you know I always want to make sure that putting the best product out there so here's how I know here's how I know you've made it okay three years ago you came to me with a notepad taking notes outside of Starbucks right a couple maybe a month ago I met with some college kid who asked to meet with me in LA he was interning at the LA Times and he's like uh, he's like oh Mr. Perlman it's very great meeting with you and we were talking he's like I also met with Mirren Fader and he was like he was like Mirren Fader you know like Holy shit. And he was like truly like in awe of meeting with Mirren Fader. So there you go. Now you're uh That's crazy. You're in the club, Mirren. I, I am nice not job. I am not worthy. <laughs> I am not worthy of any of that. That's very sweet. All right, well <laughs> you know. Uh, thank you so much for doing this. I drove all the way up here to meet you. Yes. I paid for your cookie. Uh, you ate the whole cookie, Mirren. No, I actually saved uh, you half. Alright, fair enough. But um I am seriously, it's like a delight to see what you're doing. It really gives me tremendous pride and uh you know, you're doing well, so keep it up. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. I want to thank today's guest, Mirren Fader, for joining me on Two Riders Slinging Yang. You can follow Mirren on Twitter at Mirren Fader and visit her website at the conveniently named MirrenFader.com. This podcast is sponsored by 503 Sports, kings of the throwback sports merchandise. You can visit the website at 503-sports.com. My upcoming book, Football for a Buck, The Crazy Rise and Crazier Demise of the USFL, is out September 11th, but available for pre-order everywhere now. One can listen to Two Riders Singing Yang on Apple Music and Google Play, and reviews are always appreciated. Music is by the great MC White Owl. Thanks again for joining me, and remember, keep riding.